Hi, Lisa. Hey, Amy. So, Lisa, there is this one scene that we have had on this show like a hundred times, right? It's the pitch. Yes, we've even done it for our own company. Alex Bloomberg standing on the sidewalk pitching Chris Aka in the very first episode of the show. Exactly. And the essence of this scene is always the same. It's a founder of a startup who is pitching his or her company to a venture capitalist saying, please, please invest in my company. And it sounds like this. Dating should work like Uber. (laughs) And with Dating Ring, it does. In the past two days, we've been able to sell $723 worth of products. These are products that range from corn all the way to honey. We make men's clothes for women. Why? Because there's the men's department and there's the women's department and nothing in between except $8 billion. So this season we're doing something a little bit different. We are going to the people who are on the other side of that table. You mean the venture capitalists. Exactly. The people who have the power to say, yes, I will give you that money or no, no thanks. That's what we're going to be doing for this series. For the next six episodes, we're going to be going deep into the world of venture capital with, from what I hear, a pretty unlikely character in that world. From Gimlet Media, this is Startup. I'm Lisa Chow. Amy Standen, out in San Francisco, is going to be our guide in this series. Amy, take it away. So as I've been getting to know this world of venture capital and venture capitalists, there are a couple of things that have really surprised me. One, how much money we're talking about here. In 2017, venture capitalists handed out $84 billion to founders to start their companies. $84 billion. Number two, that money went to a ridiculously small group of people. Of that $84 billion, just 2% went to women. As for African-Americans, the most recent data is from 2010. It says only 1% of VC money went to Black founders. A more recent study found that 0.2% of venture capital went to Black women. The lack of women and people of color in leadership positions is the problem that everyone is talking about right now in Silicon Valley. And there is huge pressure to change it. But that's how people talk about it, as a problem. There's another way to frame it, which is this, that when you ignore big groups of people, you leave money on the table. The venture capitalists aren't just being exclusionary, they are making a business mistake. That is what this season is about, and it's what the subject of our season has set out to prove. I want to introduce you to someone, a startup founder, who for a long, long time was not getting a piece of that venture capital pie. Her name is Melissa Hanna, and today, things have changed. She's CEO of a successful healthcare company. She's got plenty of venture capital. She's got customers. But this current company was not Melissa's first startup idea. After I graduated from college, I had an idea to do something with gourmet desserts and uh, late-night hangout culture. I really wanted to open up a gourmet dessert bar. So she moved back in with her parents in L.A. and cashed out all her savings to give it a go. A bar with drinks that also served dessert. She thought she'd try it out first with a food truck. And I, I drove—well, I, I actually couldn't drive this. I rode in the food truck. I was legally underage for the insurance policy. So you had to be 23 or older to drive the food truck, which was the first flaw in this business model, is that immediately I had to hire someone to drive me around the city. So we were already losing money on day one. 
So Melissa switched gears to something completely different. This is the idea that would eventually become a company called Mommy, M-A-H-M-E-E, and turn Melissa into a CEO. This idea sprang from a problem that Melissa's mom, Linda, was dealing with at work. Linda's a nurse who ran a company helping parents of newborns. I'm going to go take a look really quick in the fridge. I want to see your milk. I don't want you to move it, though, because I want to see what it looks like. Linda loved the moms and the babies, but the administrative side of all of this was a hassle. She wanted a platform, an app, that she could use to safely communicate with her patients and their doctors. She wanted a way to share medical records, give advice, make referrals. And there were apps for this out there, but nothing on the market was quite right. So Melissa thought, let's build something. Not just for Linda, but for doctor's offices and hospitals. Her first pitch was to her parents. <laughs> I said, let me be the chief innovation officer. Let me join the team. Please, I, I think I could take this nationwide. <laughs> nationwide. That's where venture capital comes in. You don't need venture capital to open an ice cream stand or a food truck. But if you want to build a piece of technology that will change something big, like how you shop or how you talk to your doctor... You need VC to do that. The whole point of venture capital is that it isn't a bank loan. You don't have to pay it back. If you fail, you aren't on the hook for the money. Which is why venture capital means the freedom to try out bigger, more ambitious ideas, to swing for the fences. And that's what Melissa wanted to do with her company. So she started sending emails to big venture capital firms, and most of them wrote back right away. But inside the room is where things got weird, where Melissa started to feel like the VCs were much more interested in what she looked like than in the company she was pitching. There was a period of time where I would go to investor meetings and um, like I had like a big scarf, headscarf on with a big bow and it was super flashy. And there was a woman, another founder of color, and she made a joke about that. And I was like, wait, you too? She's like, oh yeah, you know, when when they want you to come in because you're a black female founder, you got to play it up for them. Is that why you were wearing the headscarf? First, it wasn't. I was wearing the headscarf because I like to wear headscarves. But then after a couple of meetings, people seemed to really be into it. <laughs> it's like, people like my style? No, because I was being whoever they thought I was going to be when they heard this Black female founder was coming in for a meeting. Like, that I was supposed to be some sort of, not my own description, sassy Black woman that looks a certain way, is building a certain kind of company. Often, the VCs seemed amazed, even fixated on Melissa's qualifications, which were strong, but really not all that unusual in the world of tech. For instance, there was this one meeting Melissa went to with her chief technical officer, Sunny Willia. The whole first 20 minutes were just an interview with me about my background and my educational history. We went far enough back that they actually asked me where I went to high school. (laughs) Oh, and, and what did I study? And what was my thesis about in my undergraduate degree? Yeah, sure. I, and what kind of car do I drive? I'm, I'll be happy to answer all of your questions right now. We walked out of that meeting. Sunny turned to me and said, I've never seen that happen to any male CEO that I've worked with. What, what just happened in there? I mean, he was like, <laughs> and, and I thought, wow, you know, that's how it always goes for me. You don't get assessed yeah. on whether or not you actually do have the JD MBA that you list on LinkedIn? Oh, okay. I, I just thought everyone goes through that process first. Over and over again, these VCs invited her into their offices. And over and over again, they said no. These investors seemed to feel like it was enough just to have invited her into the room. And Melissa felt like she wasn't being taken seriously. Her mom, Linda, says all of this was hard to watch. Oh, you have no idea. I used to tell her to come home. I'd say, stop. Stop what you're doing. I would be in the Bay Area. Come home. And I'd be crying on the phone. 
after a day of meetings with investors, it's the most ego-killing experience. They didn't, they don't like it. They didn't get it. They don't think I can do it. The venture capitalists were judging Melissa. That's their job. And there's not really a formula for it. They were trying to decide whether Melissa seems like someone who could be the next Mark Zuckerberg. And when the VCs looked at her, that's not what they saw. Meanwhile, there was this one venture capitalist Melissa hadn't tried yet that people kept telling her about. Her name was Arlen Hamilton. Oh, have you met this Black woman VC yet? (laughs) You should totally take a meeting with her. Like everybody was saying, oh, you should talk to Arlen. It was like, you're Black, she's Black. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Arlen ran a venture capital firm called Backstage Capital, which had invested in about 30 companies, all led by what she called underestimated founders. People of color, LGBT founders, women, the kinds of people who are not getting the bulk of venture capital right now. So Melissa looked her up. Arlen Hamilton was all over Twitter. She tweeted about TV shows like General Hospital and The L Word. And she was also tweeting about things that didn't go over very well in Silicon Valley, about how women and people of color are getting a raw deal. Arlen also spoke at a lot of conferences. Um, I think that what I can do there is walk into rooms where there's money and get those people to write checks. Because for so long we've gotten the crumbs and I say I want the cake, not the crumbs. So that's where I think we can do the the most. She was saying the things that I had been thinking and feeling and experiencing for quite a while. She seemed like this mythic creature that was so bold— so much bolder than than I am to be taking the heat for this thing that I was actually experiencing. Arlen Hamilton, this mythic creature, is who we're going to be spending this season of Startup with. She's the venture capitalist who's going to show us the other side of the pitch. And right now you may be thinking, oh, this is a show about a woman trying to make the world a better place. Let me tell you, that is not what this is about. Because Arlen isn't looking for charity or handing it out. Her hero is Richard Branson. That is who she's aiming to be. She is this total outsider, African-American, gay, grew up poor in Texas, never went to college, who set her sights on becoming a venture capitalist. And this road has not been easy, as you'll hear over the course of this season. Arlen wants to make her fortune by betting on people the rest of the valley has overlooked. In other words, by betting on people like Melissa, which is what Arlen did. Arlen heard Melissa's pitch. Melissa struck Arlen as someone who could run a successful company. So Arlen wrote Melissa her first venture capital check. It was small, just $25,000. But for Melissa, it changed everything. It was the first time in a long time where I felt like I was not crazy. You know, here's, yeah. here's a signal that we could be a viable VC investment. That signal is key. It means some venture capitalist somewhere believes that you're going to be a success. And once you have that first vote of confidence, the other checks are much easier to get. That's how venture capital works. I'm now saying to investors, if you want to reach out to me in another 6 to 12 months, I'd be happy to take a meeting with you at that time. (laughs) Arlen believes there are a lot of Melissa's out there, people with perfectly good ideas who aren't getting funded because they don't look like Mark Zuckerberg. In her view, this is a major investment opportunity that other VCs are missing out on. She's an evangelist about this. A few months ago, she told Josh Muccio, host of another Gimlet show called The Pitch, that her goal is to change the way Silicon Valley looks. Like, can you paint the picture for us of the world 
in 10 years. In from 10 your years. Point of view. Ooh, 10 years is a long time to make some stuff happen. It really is. <laughs> right. So I've, I feel like in 10 years, there are going to be so many black millionaires and billionaires from the tech industry in 10 years. Y'all don't even know. It's just going to be a new guard. You're going to walk into a room and it's just going to be white people, black people, uh, uh, Latinx people, uh, Asian people, everybody, everybody, everybody working together. We will look back and say, do you remember how weird it was when like, there weren't any, any people of color in here? And then like white guys would be like, man, it was so boring. I'm so glad y'all came here, man. It was so cool. And who doesn't want that? But that is not what the room looks like now. Not by a long shot. Coming up, we take you inside one of these rooms. A secret room in an undisclosed location full of successful venture capitalists who control much of the money and power in Silicon Valley right now. That's coming up after the break. Welcome back to Startup. This secret meeting Arlen took me to, it was early on, just as I was getting to know her. And up until this point, my view of Arlen was a lot like Melissa's view of Arlen, which was of this mythical creature who was going around tapping her magic wand on founders that the rest of Silicon Valley was overlooking. Which is true. What I didn't realize is that Arlen is a very long way from where she wants to be in venture capital. She is just getting started. She's breaking into this very white, very male world where nearly everyone is connected through networks that they built in grad school or at top tech companies. You went to Stanford. You worked at Google. Those networks are key to the whole thing because there is no tangible product in venture capital. That's all VC is, is making deals. And Arlen needs to make deals too. She built a very small venture capital fund by convincing bigger, established investors to trust her with their money. But what they'd given her was tiny. She needed to raise much, much more. Which is why we're here, driving to a private annual meeting for venture capitalists talking about the future of their industry. So I'm going to run in? Do you want me to stay here while you run in, or can I run in with you, or what's your... The meeting is off the record, so I can't record inside, only in the parking lot. And before we even get out of the car, Arlen wants to make sure that I won't give away the location. Yeah, in a, in a fancy part of the Bay or something like that. Sure. Because it's, um, yeah, let's not say where, like, where, what city or what event it is. Venture capital is a hush-hush kind of thing. These people are so powerful, but we never really hear from them. I think it seemed kind of tacky to show up at a meeting like this, trailed by a reporter with a microphone. So we'll just say a fancy part of the Bay Area, a wood-paneled, one-story building surrounded by eucalyptus trees with three Teslas in the small parking lot. Hi, how are you doing? And then I had to turn off my recorder. As we entered the foyer, Arlen stopped to chat with someone she knew. I walked past them into the main room and found a place to stand in the back next to the banana muffins. Ahead of me, about 50 people in fold-up chairs faced a small stage where a man and woman were discussing the lackluster state of IPOs in tech. Don't pay Series B prices for Series A risk, someone warned. In the audience, the men wore blazers and statement eyewear. They looked like they did triathlons on weekends. Women sat with expensive handbags at their feet. Altogether, they probably controlled hundreds of millions of dollars. Many of them could easily give Arlen the money she needs for her fund. And none of them looked anything like her. Not just because she was the only African-American woman, which she was. She was also wearing what I would come to think of as her uniform. 
jeans, black t-shirt, purple sneakers, a phone in her back pocket. No makeup, no jewelry, no purse, nothing other than herself. After a couple of panels, Arlen turned to me and motioned to go outside. She clearly wanted to frame this event for me somehow. I turned the recorder back on. You know, before, like two years ago, a year and a half ago, I'd have to beg to to be in this room. Now I get the invites all the time because, um, you know, I represent something that is a very easy plug and play. If you're trying to check marks, you got three of them with me and maybe more. If you want to diversify your conference, Arlen checks a lot of boxes. Black, female, gay. And she had given this some thought. It reminded her of an old TV episode she'd seen. A lot of things remind Arlen of old TV episodes. I don't know if you're old enough to know this one, but I am. You ever watch Designing Women? It's like 30 years ago or something. There's an episode where Anthony is invited to join a country club that had historically been white only. (laughs) Good morning, ladies. Sorry I'm late, but I had to swing by the club this morning. (laughs) And he is, you know, wearing the outfit and just feeling himself, right? And over time, over the episode, the ladies realize he's being used as a token. They pull him to the side and they, you know, very, in a very sad way, you know, they say, you know, Anthony, they're just using you. And he just looked at them and he said, you know how smart I am. You know I know that. You knew. Oh, Julia, come on. I did not just fall off the turnip truck. He said, that's why in every picture I smile real big. I get real country on them. I'm going to every party. I'm going to every dance, every barbecue, and every time a group picture is taken, I'm going to be sitting there on the front row going, cheese. He knows the game. He knows that there's his own agenda and his own strategy in that. He didn't go into that uh, blindly. He's not foolish. That's how I look at this. Arlen had gotten herself into the country club, too. Now the power brokers were inviting her to their exclusive networking events. And of course, Arlen knew why. She didn't just fall off the turnip truck either. But for Arlen, just being here wasn't enough. She was here to make deals with these people. She needed them to see her as more than a token. We ate lunch in the courtyard, ramen bowls and corn salad. I watched her walk through the crowd. She looked purposeful, but she didn't look like she was having a lot of fun. After lunch, she took a seat in the front row, but pretty soon she was ready to leave. So we got in my car and headed back downtown. Two miles to the left, two and a half miles. Yeah, okay. And while we were driving, an email came in. Okay, there's drama. I can't give you names, but there's definitely drama. I just got an email from someone. (laughs) I have to be vague. A company in our portfolio is not able to pay their employees. And they didn't tell me directly. Can you tell me, why is, it a, why is this a big deal? Like, the first thing I thought about when I first read it seconds ago was that it's feeding into a stereotype that we're trying to prove wrong. There's this microscope on us as backstage. We're investing in companies that are led by underrepresented founders Everything that we do and everything that those founders do is under a microscope. So I'm going to be judged in a different way about it. Is it about whether underrepresented people are capable of running businesses? Yeah, and it's totally unfair. How could they possibly have the skills? That's the the way it's presented. I wish that founder would have given me some heads up so that I could have gotten in front of that. 
because it's not just about them. It's about the whole story. Startups go out of business all the time. VCs expect this. But Arlen believes that for her, the bar is higher because she isn't just representing herself. She's representing the whole story, which is that women and people of color are good bets for Silicon Valley. There is one way for her to prove this, and it's pretty simple. She needs to pick companies that will take off and make their investors a bunch of money. Good returns are everything. This is Cyan Bannister. She's a well-known investor with Founders Fund in San Francisco. It's kind of like I met Tony Hawk one time. He's a skateboarder. And he told me that skateboarding is a true meritocracy. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, it doesn't really matter where you come from, how big or small you are. If you can do the tricks, you can be at the skate park. And people know. Like, same thing in the investing world. Um, You show up with your skateboard. You can either do the tricks or you can't do the tricks. (laughs) That's really what it comes down to. Like, you either can find good deal flow or you can't. That's really the name of the game. In skateboarding, the trick is over in four seconds. In venture capital, the conventional wisdom is that it takes a good VC about three years to begin to prove herself. That's when it should be obvious that you can pick good, strong companies. That's where Arlen was when we met her, just a few years in. She'd had no big wins so far, which was okay, to be expected. But it was time for her to land a trick. She had picked 60 companies she thought had real promise. Now she needed at least one of them to take off. My name is Sheena Allen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Capway, which is a fintech company. We focus on the financial health of the underserved. My name is Brian Brackeen. I'm the CEO of Kairos. We do facial recognition for everything that you wouldn't expect. I'm Stephanie Lampkin. My name is Dave Scott. Hello there, my name's Kevin Bad. My name is Samir Kumar. Carol S. B. Wilson. I'm the founder and CEO of Tinsel. Founder, CEO of Chance. Hi, my name is Lisa Fetterman, and I'm the founder of NamiKu. People in Silicon Valley often talk about diversity as something you're supposed to do. Arlen Hamilton wants to flip this mindset, to stop thinking of diversity as a charity project, and to start thinking of it as an investment strategy, one that is going to make her very, very rich. That is the Tony Hawk trick she's trying to pull off. Coming up on this season of Startup, Whether she knows it or not, a lot of people now and in the future are counting on her. You could say, I am hacking venture capital. I've had to hack everything else. Why not hack venture capital? Arlen lands the most important deals of her life. How about we do 100K? And loses opportunities to build her dream. The B plan is actually not coming through. And that is a clear and present danger for us. A mysterious investor comes to Arlen's rescue without ever even meeting her in person. Just a phone call. Yes. Had you ever done that before? Not to that extent, no. (laughs) Arlen tries to keep me from talking about the things she fears most. If you bring this up to her at all, it's done. We're done. Arlen Hamilton and her very ambitious dream to make a new power structure alongside the biggest businesses in the world. I'm not going to stop. At the very least, at the very least, hear me on this. We deserve a chance to try this. 
That's all coming up on this season of Startup. Startup's regular host is Lisa Chow. This episode was produced by Bruce Wallace, Simone Polanin, and Angelina Mosier. Our senior producer is Lauren Silverman. Editing by Emmanuel Berry, Lulu Miller, Caitlin Kenny, Lisa Chow, Molly Messick, and Sarah Saracen. I'm Amy Standen. Our theme song is by Mark Phillips. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. For full music credits, visit our website, gimletmedia.com startup. Peter Leonard mixed the episode. Special thanks to Joanne Chen with Foundation Capital. To subscribe to Startup, go to Apple Podcasts or whichever app you like to use. And while you're there, leave a review. Find out more about the show at gimletmedia.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Startup. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.